Welcome to The Grind, a church planting podcast by the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, full of practical tips, missional strategies, and personal stories to bring you insights and encouragement on your church planting journey. We're your hosts, Neil Scoggins and Greg Addison, coming to you live from Little Rock. Hello and welcome to The Grind Podcast. We are so excited to have our audience with us and uh, talk to you guys again about church planting. My name is Greg Addison and it's a joy to be back. Neil is with me and Neil, oh, man, man, you are awesome. You carried the load on the last episode when I bailed on you. So thank you for doing that. You know what, that. Greg, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a big ditch uh, of me dragging uh, the last <laughs> episode. I don't know how much I carried, but uh, man, I, I, dra- I will tell you this though. I missed you. I promise you, man. I missed you. We missed that highbrow, intellectual, practical commentary that you bring to the grind. No, no, this is Greg you're talking about right here, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want you to know I rested my back, so I'm back. I can carry the load for you now, so we're good. Gotcha. I, man, I appreciate it. That is, that is so awesome. That is awesome. Now, you know what? There are a few episodes, Greg, that will go down in history of the grind. A couple of episodes we had on prayer with Dave McClung, Uh, maybe an episode uh, at the very beginning of the grind when Chad could not stop giggling. (laughs) I remember that. It goes down in history. And Greg, I have to say, this one will go down in history as one of the greatest, I'm, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you, this will go down as one of the greatest episodes because we have one of the greatest guests that we could ever scrape, I mean, that we could ever pull That's in. Right, <laughs> man. Uh, man, if you keep talking that nice about him, we're going to have to pay him for this. So <laughs> we are honored to have with us Bobby Thomas, uh, who leads the Arkansas Baptist Foundation. And uh, Bobby, glad you're with us. Man, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, certainly view each of you guys as friends and glad to help church planners anytime we can man neil is right though all kidding aside we are excited about this episode bobby is here uh bobby's a great friend arkansas baptist and many of you know him and know the work that he and his staff do uh not just the foundation type work where they help people uh with um giving and financial planning and uh planning out their uh uh, end of life giving and all those different things that they do uh, yeah. to to support um, funds being going into cooperative program and camp asylum and all those kind of things but they also are very active in helping churches uh, just know how to do things know how to plan and Bobby is a great great friend Arkansas Baptist and we appreciate that ministry that you guys have Bobby you and your staff so I thought it'd be fun Neil and I kind of thought it'd be fun as you travel the state and you work with churches and stuff tell us your best experience and your worst experience in dealing with church planners the things you've discovered and that sort of deal now, well, now Bobby don't call my name <laughs> when you, when you get your worst experience we already know well I, and what I'll try to do just there's so many to choose from so you know we're, we're all a victim <laughs> of the most recent so these are going to be uh, corona stories. How about that? That's Things that great. have come out of uh, this most That's recent good. season. But, no, um, we do have a chance, and, and given the, the dynamics that take place in church planning, whether it be with property, 
or whether it be with things emerging or being established, we do <laughs> tend, because we do have attorneys and CPAs on staff, we do tend to get some of those questions. Uh, most of those questions do come in arrears, if you will. They come after uh, <laughs> the, the water's already gotten pretty deep or the mud's already sloshing around. But, no, there's a couple of things, really, that in the midst of this coronavirus and everything's going on and, and, and really um, – they, they tie back both to the same thing, the Paycheck Protection Program, this process by which churches were included in uh, to receive some some government uh, support or some funding. Yeah. Um, the best story is we, we've had a church in the Delta, southern part of the state, I won't name names, uh, that we've, we've uh, received several calls from, several interesting requests. Um, they have a... Uh, challenging relationship with their local bank we'll just say this yeah. and so uh when we when it was announced that this program would be administered through your local bank uh that was not a well-received thing uh, so uh i get a text that says i'm interested in applying but uh i need a bank to apply through well that was in the midst of the storm that was originally ppp that was like asking neil to walk on water i mean that was a <laughs> That was a request, and I even talked with Neil about it, and he was like, "Yeah, good luck with that." And so, but believe it or not, we had a we had a bank that early on in the process that said, "Look, any church that any Arkansas Baptist church that is looking to apply that they can't figure it out with their local bank, send them our way." Well, this bank is predominantly based in kind of north central Arkansas, and so about as far as you can get from this church plant. And I was like, "This isn't going to work," and so. Lo and behold, they send us a reference to a, a branch that's about 45 minutes from this church. And um, believe it or not, we <laughs> from introducing this person to this bank, uh, in about four or five business days, they got approved. And we were just kind of blown away because we were like, look, this isn't going to happen. You know, this is like sending that flare that you don't ever plan to have responded to. And so uh, credit to that church planner. You know, he got his things in order. Uh, he was very amicable and credit to the bank. And so that was that was one of those things we just saw happen. We didn't think we were going to happen. And then on the other side, same deal, uh, same process. Bank here in central Arkansas, we thought, hey, we'll be able to help them. No problem. They actually were dealing with uh, – the church plant was dealing with a bank that, that we had had other folks have a positive experience with. And for whatever reason, um, I actually did a – uh, conference call at, at 8 o'clock on a Friday night with this church planner and his leadership to kind of get all our ducks in a row, and the bank just refused to cooperate. And so it did, It was not the issue of the church planner at all. The bank literally um, and the banker just basically ended up refusing to accept their application. And so that was kind of the worst thing that we saw through that process is really just even when – someone's trying to do all the right things and you think folks would be supportive in kind of a customer service type way, just yeah. not willing to go there. So I, I know it's probably not the humor we thought I tried to curb the more colorful ones, but, uh, <laughs> you know, really seeing our folks want to do the right thing, want to get it right and being willing to reply, respond quickly yeah. in this environment and, and then having the right partner. And then the disappointing thing is when you think you have that right partner, and, and again, that business partner doesn't cooperate and kind of leaves you at the altar, so to speak. And so, uh, yeah. well, I think that's a great story, though, in terms of it relates to the to the to the struggle that so many of our planters have. Man, they want to reach people for Jesus. They don't want to fool around with the bank deal. I mean, you know, Neil, right. you, you didn't yeah. become a church planter and a pastor uh, to be an accountant, a lawyer and a banker. 
No, that's not really. And and the scary part about all of that is, like you said, we we don't we have all of the shiny stuff. We got the brand new name. We got the slick stationery and all of that. And I'm gonna be honest with you, Bobby. Uh, from a church planning standpoint, the administrative part is typically the last thing that is on our mind. So if we had to, people ask all the time, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do all over again? And I would take the thing that was the hardest for me, which was administration, and kind of make that the the primary. I mean, what what do we really need to look at as a church planter? Because there are a lot of church planters that are trying, that are trying to pull it together. What is it that we need? What is that, those pieces? Uh, Greg calls them buckets. What are those buckets that we need to deal with as it relates to administration as a church plant? Well, first of all, you said stationary. So that may have been why that was an issue for you. Uh, I don't know that stationary, uh, but anyway. So, no, one of those things, the first bucket, and I'm going to use the term governance, and that may not be the appropriate term, but but really um, kind of those founding documents, you know, what you're pulling together. Uh, to establish your church plant. And so um, part of that is, you know, making sure that your uh, tax identification is correct. Uh, And, you know, Neil and I have talked recently about how, you know, part of the benefits of being affiliated with the convention is that some of those things are already taken care of or can be taken care of for you and be recognized by what's called a group exemption. But so that that's part of it is just to establish yourself as a tax exempt entity uh, being a church. also, a necessary step, in our opinion, is to go ahead and register with the Secretary of State so that <clears throat> you'll be seen as an institution that's held in good standing. That And so, um, and that was another issue that arose kind of through this whole PPP process. That was a requirement many banks had. Part of that being in good standing is that Secretary of State is going to ask you to have some skeleton of articles and bylaws where you're actually, whether or not you're incorporated or not, again, we can help you get incorporated uh, if you think that's a necessary step. Um, and there's sample articles and bylaws, but those are all in that governance bucket. You know, am I a tax-exempt organization? Am I recognized appropriately? Um, have I registered with my state entity so that if someone ever searched my name that I'm seen to be in good standing? And then do I have some articles or bylaws, some instruction about how we operate? And again, not what time our services or what kind of small groups do we have, but but more the legal parameters of do we own the facility we're in? If, if we're in a certain facility and, and decide to move, what are our affiliations, those type things, who makes decisions um, within the organization? Yeah, how do you buy and sell property if That's you right. end up buying that? Uh, who uh, has the authority to hire uh, and who do they hire? And, That's right. and who holds you accountable to your uh, finances and all that? What's the structure of That's your right. entity? Those articles and bylaws are going to frame an yeah. organization structure, a leadership structure, elder-led, deacon-led, yeah. staff-led, congregational-led. So those things will be shaped in there. Um, and then really, and, and the reason that tax-exempt component is so important, because the next bucket is receiving you know, contributions from your members or your supporters, and then being able to appropriately document and receipt those. Well, you can only do that if you've been recognized as tax exempt because you're, those folks that are giving, you're going to want a receipt at some point to claim on their taxes. Not That's not going to be the primary motivation. That's going to be something that we want to provide those folks and want to help you provide. Um, And so that, that's kind of that second bucket. Then the third bucket, and this is what ties to that org structure that Greg just mentioned, um, 
is payroll and compensation. So the folks that actually provide services for the church for a fee, uh, predominantly the church planner, um, are you are you set up and compensated correctly? And that's another thing. Again, this process we just went through was again a paycheck protection program. It was a payroll program, so it shined a bright light on the payroll practices of our plants and all of our churches. But um, and so there were some things uh, really from a from a payroll records and verification standpoint, uh, whether you're being 1099 compensated or W-2, there were issues that arose. Um, lots of our guys weren't taking advantage of the housing allowance, which is a, a tax-free provision that's been provided for years within the federal tax code that allows a minister to receive part of his compensation tax-free to provide for his housing expenses. And so those those things all kind of tie back to that first bucket. You know, there, there's water that flows out of that first bucket that'll certainly determine the depths of those second two. Um, and then, so Bob, let me let me ask you this real quick. So <clears throat> early on, you were talking about uh, being legitimate with the with the state that you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that do I have to take a core group to the Secretary of State's office, and and everybody has to sign something. Is this something I could do online? I mean, what's that? Because a lot of a lot of guys will ask me, and they'll say, "Well, how do I become legitimate? Is there like a a court process? I mean, what what is entailed in that?" Well, it's it's actually an online process now. Arkansas has been very advanced in that. You can establish that online. You can update it each year online. There's not a fee for doing that. It's 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 really more of just a function, perfunctory process. Uh, the other thing that gets confusing, though, and I'm glad you asked that, is that a lot of times folks say, "Well," I kind of signed up or I registered with the convention, I'm good. Well, the convention's business office doesn't then go and register all 1,500 churches each year with the Secretary of State. That's that's an obligation of that local church. That's part of local church autonomy, and that local authority is to do that. So it is an online process. We can walk folks through that. It's very simple. Five to ten minutes is probably what it would take each year to update. You do disclose – some of your directors or officers or authorized individuals. So again, that's where the the polity comes into play. That's whether it's a leadership, staff team, elder board. Um, again, there's no liability per se or anything like that created for those individuals or if a church has trustees. Um, it's just declaring to the state that these are the per- persons that we're recognizing as authorized to to act on behalf of this church. Yeah, you're basically saying we are an entity. This is the kind of entity that we have. And these are the basic hands and feet, brain function of an entity. Yeah, that, and that, that's what you're establishing here. And in, in a way, it can. It's not. It's not like a trademark thing, but it can protect your name uh, in your community. And so, to the extent that someone has a similar name or similar church, or someone comes into your community or a neighboring community with a similar name or similar church, you're kind of registering that. No, this is. You know, we're Tabernacle God Marion. This is who we are. You know, and and we've registered that way and. I'm the pastor, and here's the, our trustees. Here's the folks that can speak on our behalf. That way, if something were you know unprudent or something that occur or inappropriate, then the state knows. No, this is who these people are, and this other group is not not authorized to represent them, not acting on their behalf. All right. So okay. you got the governing documents and the structure of that. Then you have from that, as Bobby says, the water begins to flow from mm-hmm. that bucket into the next one, and so that. That structure, now we have to start to function. So we have um, 
the governing document instructions. Then the second bucket is receiving the contributions, doing that well. Payroll and compensation. And is there any other yep. bucket you would put in the framework? I would. I would. And, and really, payroll is a type of expense. It's unique enough that it's going to stand on its own. But that next, ex, that next bucket is, is really church expenses and budget. And so, what again, what is your polity around the money you do receive, how are you authorized to spend it, and who's authorized to spend it, and, and are you accountable to that process? So, um, and now again, I, I'm not trying to conduct an online church business meeting. Um, we've probably all been through those in this season. But um, you do need to decide what is the mechanism, because again, part of the reason that the IRS and, and other government entities grant you, grant you a tax exemption as a church plant is they're saying, you're acting in good faith, receiving dollars for a ministry purpose, and you, in mm-hmm. fact, are have a budget or something that determines in advance of receiving the funds how you intend to spend those. So you're not making it up as we go, okay? And so that's yeah. why it is necessary to have a budget. It is necessary, not for necessarily from accountability to your people, although I think that's a healthy thing. That's one of the default assumptions when you're granted tax exempt status that – no, you have a plan. You have a ministry plan that and a ministry funding mechanism. And if you receive the funding you anticipate, here's how I plan to use those dollars to support that ministry initiative that I was granted a tax-exempt status for in the first place. And so you know, those all tie together. From a church planter standpoint, you, you really freed a lot of church planters because in conversations with guys, they always think, hey, you know, I have to have all of this money coming in before I get a budget. But you just said, and maybe I've missed it, but you just said the budget is the plan as the money comes in, not the money comes in, then I come up with a plan. Yeah, absolutely. The best practice is to have that ministry plan, have that budget, even if it's a guesstimate initially uh, on the front end. And, And again, going back to the payroll conversation, part of the reason so many of our guys miss the housing allowance is housing allowance must be disclosed or estimated in advance of the calendar year starting. And so if they wait and say, oh, we're having a good year, the church has agreed to compensate me in a more material way, it's too late to claim that as housing. It's too late to use that tax exempt because you have to declare it ahead of time, the intent, okay? And so, again, don't let that box you in. Don't don't let uh, a budget or an estimation on a housing allowance become martial law or the, the edict that runs everything. That's just a guideline. That's what we thought we were going to do uh, kind of think of it as if, if you're a baseball person, left field, right field lines, you're operating in the playing field. We don't be to be in foul ground, but we have no idea really what's going to happen as we move through this church planning process. And so, yeah. um, so that, that's the, uh, the fourth bucket. And then what we would encourage folks to do as, as far as a fifth bucket is concerned is really create a mechanism of assessing and reviewing those, those original governing documents and, and articles and bylaws to create some sort of process, whether it's every three years or it's every year, every five years, to where, you know, we're going to make sure that we're still operating correctly. Again, part of that, number five, would be that annual update of the Secretary of State standing. Uh, part of that would be, you know, is our leadership structure still appropriate? Uh, and really reviewing all those things. You know, do we have our folks set up correctly in payroll? And that... So what oftentimes happens is the whole set it and forget it, right? We may get one through four done, and it worked perfectly when we were a church plant, but now we're three, four, five, six, seven, eight years down the line, 
And yeah. uh, we've not ever revisited any of those things. And maybe we go to buy property for the first time on our own. Or maybe we go to do something and we realize, oh, snap, I still got Neil listed. Neil hadn't been with us in four years. Or I still yeah. – and, and something is not current in one of those other areas, and it impedes progress that, that's really – that God's created an opportunity for. Which is really the point of a church plant. I mean, the whole reason you plant a church is to reach lost people, to grow. Your church grows, and you reach more people, and that's going to create a dynamic uh, flow of people. It's going to create a dynamic situation of change as a church goes from core group to four core groups to we break 100, uh, and now we can't. Uh, the school won't let us be there, or it's not big enough anymore, a whole group of people we grew over in this other deal, and we need to move over here, and we have an opportunity to to, to buy an old storefront or some other kind of deal, or a church is going to gift us a, you know, this church died and moved to another area, and they're going to give us a building, and how do we receive that building? That dynamic flow of ministry yeah. in a church plant, really, you want that to happen. Right, absolutely. So why not plan for that? Why not look down a road and say, you know, God called us to do this because we're going to reach people. Right. And, and, and we, the other we, thing. we call that a form of uh, stewardship. Well, I think it's greater than stewardship. It's more discipleship because once we've got the folks in, then we've got to walk that process as leaders, I guess, as planters, walk that process to actually prepare for maturity because you can't be 30 years old and still be a church plant. Well, well and, yeah, and that's and that's part of this. And you said the, the appropriate word is a process. And so, none of these things are. Oh, we did that. Let's check the box. We never have to talk about that again. All yeah. of these things are process elements. That there has to be that mechanism of assessing and revisiting. And so, part of what we're even working on this summer, and and, and this has kind of been a need that's been illuminated, is partnering with folks that are executive pastors, church administrators of, of larger membership churches and, and that have planted churches, been parts of plants, and say, help us come up with an assessment that we can kind of walk a church plant through no matter when we engage them. You know, maybe we are having an opportunity to engage them on the, on the front end right when these kind of building blocks are being put into place, the buckets are being established, or maybe they've been around for a year, two, three years. And we're just now coming in contact with them. And so um, we're trying to create that assessment, that level five, so we so we know which buckets we need to go back and kind of make make more solid, you know, uh, clean up the cracks in, establish. Um, but th- that's been the hardest thing because the other thing that we've learned through all this process is although there are some fundamental building blocks that are the same, uh, no one church plant's the same. Yep. And so every context is unique, every gifting is unique, every calling is unique. And so we, w- yeah. we want to be flexible enough to serve them where they are, um, but at the same time um, make sure that there is some level of consistency around, hey, if a church plan is, is established and identified as Arkansas Baptist, we know a, a few things are probably going to exist. We know there's going to be some fundamental governance things there that are in place. All right, that's good. So we got that that structure then, those five areas, the, the governing documents and structure, the receiving contributions, 
payroll and compensation issues as a specific topic, then then the overall church expenses and the budget and how all that flows, and then that mechanism for reviewing structure. That, that's really good, Bobby. We've talked a little bit about uh, the governing documents and structure part of that. Let's talk about um, receiving contributions. We're talking about just some of the basic things they need to know and some of the common struggles that you see as you talk with them. Well, so, so many times we, we find in a church plant initially they're not prepared uh, to provide an annual receipt, for example, to, to give Neil, for example, a receipt of, of any contributions he made to the church for whatever reason. And so we typically find that it's a process by which, oh, well, we'll, we'll come up with a receipt if we're asked. And that, that's really not the best process. You really need to have a mechanism by which anyone that's making a material contribution to your church, and some people have different standards. There are $250 is the standard we see most often. So if someone gave $250 or more in a calendar year, so in 2019 or 2020, that we have a plan in which we're going to issue them an annual receipt recapping not only the, the total dollar amount, but each individual gift. And that's the other big stumbling block is that now if, if Neil's sending you $5 a week and it works out perfectly to $260, then you can put five a week, 260. You don't have to list all 52 contributions. But, and that happens more often with reoccurring giving and all those things. But more often than not, what's happening is someone gave you $50 here, $100 there, $500 there, whatever the case may be. And so you really need to have a process by which you can record and acknowledge on an annual summary every contribution that that member made um, to the church. Um, so that, and again, th- there's lots of tripping points in there. Um, and, and again, if you don't have a good bookkeeping structure, it's easy to miss those. And I'm, I'm guessing, just guessing, this is just a thought, Neil, just a guess, <laughs> okay. but a spiral-bound notebook is probably not the best mechanism for recording that. What do you think? So I'm so you're saying I got to get rid of my spiral-bound notebook? <laughs> well, either, either that or you have to be remarkably efficient at finding. Does each page have, have its own, like each member has its own page in that spiral-bound notebook? No, dude, I, yeah. no. Uh-uh. Yeah. It's, you, you lost me at remarkable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so give us a sort of a, a, a thing, because here's what's important about that. You got oh, in, in church plant, Neil, you can really help with this too. You got two basic groups of people that uh, that this is important to. The first yeah. is you got a core group of people that have either come with you as a planter and bottom division, or they're a part of your sponsoring church that have come with you, and they're right. and they're tithers. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're invested church people. Exactly. And, and they are buying into, we want to go plant this church. And so yeah. they're giving more than 250 bucks a year. They're giving as a part of their passion for reaching lost people and commitment and all that. And it's important right. to be prepared to honor their leaving the mother church, being a part of the sponsored church, giving the investment and the strength of what they're doing. So you have that group that you right. already almost have like a full-blown taking care of them deal. And then you have the other group people, like people that come in and out, they're trying you out are going to join lost people get saved and that's where those random fifty dollars a hundred dollars every now and then oh covid's hit i need to give they don't know anything about tithing yet they just got saved three weeks ago but they respond and they go okay here's some money so that looks like two different groups of type people that are giving patterns you're right you're actually right and and you know what and the the thing and and typically those two different groups of people are in sometimes and i'm 
depending on where the church plan is, they're two in two different socioeconomic groups. Mm-hmm. So the the supporters are ones that they are have they have a level of expectation that you're going to give them, hey, this is what we've done. And then the other group is it's more education. So the the one group that support is expectation and the other is is education. Uh, Because a quick story, I remember when we were doing that, we were laying out those annual gifts. And so we had to have a meeting to explain what this document was and why these dates were listed and the amounts and Mm -hmm. all of that. Because, you know, again, I still think it's a part of discipleship. If I am going to teach you about Jesus, I'm going to teach you how Jesus enters every facet of your life. So they used to tell me that it was um, uh, 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 required by law. Is that required by law? I'm just curious. Yeah, there are some requirements uh, of disclosure. Uh, Now, again, no one's going to come looking for that unless someone complains on the IRS that said, hey, I gave to this entity and I can't get a receipt. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's just like, us, yeah. I'm assuming that like uh, Bobby Thomas is a part of our church plan and we get to December 15th or whatever, and I just rip your page out of the spiral right. notebook and give it to you. It's yeah. probably not adequate. <laughs> that's, that's not adequate. A basic, simple way okay. that a church plant can establish, we received and can document the contributions, and then I can produce a receipt, some version right. of that, that someone can prove to the IRS that they gave. Well, yep. What does that look like? Yeah, and so um, you're going to end up needing some form of church accounting software. Now, again, part of what we're going through in this assessment is we're actually attempting to negotiate with church accounting software providers to see, okay, where can we and assess those as well. But um, QuickBooks, for example, would probably be the most basic element where you can set your church up in QuickBooks. You can set uh, up each member as a contributor. Um, It's going to be a little challenging uh, if as you grow. uh, You know, you may have heard, you know, software like Shelby and different things like that. There's lots of different software companies out there uh, that provide church accounting software. You could even use a legacy Microsoft Access database if you wanted to, uh, because that ends up being, I see Neil shaking his head, maybe still using his database along with his stationary. But um, uh, <laughs> I've migrated to a three ring binder now. Yeah. And, and again, if, if that's, again, we want to meet you where you are. If all you have is paper records, again, we don't have to rewind that many decades that most all of our churches had paper records. Okay. So it was done for many years that way. Um, it's not ideal or the best use of your time now. Um, but you will need to have a way in which you're entering that information. Now, here's the other thing, and we always get questions about cash. Someone makes a cash contribution into an offering plate, for example, and it's passed through the hands of dozens of people, and you have no, no way of identifying who left that cash, you don't yeah. assign that to anyone. You don't get to pick your favorite member and they get credit for all the cash that week. Okay. So you have to be able to discern that Neil or Greg or whoever the person may be is the one who made that gift. And so now you can imagine that's uniquely different than if someone came to the church office and said, here's a hundred dollar bill, it's cash, but you know that Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones said, Hey, this is for kids going to camp or this, whatever the case may be. So you can acknowledge and receipt that because you have a way to discern who gave it. Um, what about, uh, what about, you know, n- the new thing now is I know Lifeway did, um, the generosity, the yeah. online mm-hmm. piece or other online, um, uh, 
application, you know, Givelify, Pushpay, right. all these other ways. Is that does that suffice uh, as a part of the documentation process for it, a church plan? It can. So one of the things, and we were so proud of Lifeway to see them step forward uh, during this time, and they offered a, a free online giving platform for any church that didn't have one established, um, and. They do, as part of their process, they do handle the receding part. And that's another thing in here. With your church software and your giving platforms, oftentimes they will offer to handle the receding element. Here's the confusing thing, though. Let's take the Lifeway Generosity online platform. If someone signed up for that unique COVID-19 online offering and set that up, that software is going to handle all the online gift receipts. They don't know anything about the cash or check or, or physical de- contributions that that same member may have made. Does that make sense, Neil? So, yes, they're going to handle one part of the responsibility, but if if they're making other contributions to you besides those online gifts, the church still has that responsibility. And ultimately, it is the church's responsibility. Again, you can have partners and software providers that will help share that, but it is ultimately the church plan's responsibility to make sure those that gave 250 or more receive an appropriate receipt. So the big the big takeaway from this is whatever mechanism, if you've got something simple like QuickBooks or a more broader Shelby or something stronger like Shelby, some other kind of process, there are two basic things you have to be able to do. You have to be able to account for the receipts that came in, the money yeah. that came in, and then you have to be able to account to each donor, each giver, what they gave that's in right. the course of that year. Yep. And so I think that's the key thing that you that that church planners need to really be able to think through and that gives you enough information to ask questions. So whether you call Bobby uh, and, and the foundation for a question or you call church planning office or you got an account in your church, you know the framework now. I have got to be able to account for the receipts that came in and then I have to be able to receipt those back to the people that gave them or the cash line to to be able to show this was cash mm-hmm. and this was not receipted to someone. That's yeah. right. And so and, and part of that, and again, this is what we we're talking about before. You need to go into this with a game plan of, hey, we're gonna reach dozens of people, hundreds of people. And they're all going to learn about the teachings of, of Jesus, and they're going to give sacrificially out of the abundance that God's provided for them. And so you have to be prepared that all those things are going to happen. And so, so many times we see folks start, and if you don't have that basic mechanism in place, then you're you're going to it's a stumbling block or a hurdle. We just don't know which when you're going to hit it. You know, but it, yeah. whether it's at the end of the first calendar year or whenever that critical mass happens. And, and again, Neil, you alluded to the fact that there are two sets of expectations. You're going to have folks that are, for lack of a better term, churched, okay, that they're going to yeah. have that expectation that are going to have received a receipt before. And, yeah. and then you're going to have other folks that they have no idea even what you're talking about. They may not even know that their contribution to the church is deductible. They not they may not be filing taxes, right? And so, uh, so there's going to be an, an education component. the The other thing, and and this is this may have a similar amount of expectations, but the next step, Greg, and you you spoke directly to it, is that once someone gives, they may also be giving for a particular purpose or cause through the local church disaster relief, camps, youth ministry, whatever the case may be, you've also got to have an ability within that 
accounting software that, hey, we're recognizing this. I'm giving Greg credit. Oh, Greg said that we need to earmark that money or use that money to support this disaster relief that happened or this incident that happened in our local community or whatever the case may be. There's another mechanism on the expense side of how do we make sure that that gets placed in the appropriate place from a financing standpoint. That's the, that's the term, the technical term, designated giving. Right. I, it, that falls in that category. And what that simply means is somebody has assigned a specific purpose to that dollar rather than giving it to the plant to just do ministry with, according to the right. budget and purposes of the church. Yeah. And so you, you'll need, and that's, again, yeah. part of this articles and bylaws, this, this process on the front end, You'll need to think through a policy around how do we want to handle designated gifts. Yeah, and it doesn't take long, Neil, for that to happen, does it? I mean, you got people that are coming yeah. in, and you have COVID hits, or you have a tornado hits in Jonesboro, and you're talking to people about Jesus ministry, and they buy in, and they go, hey, we need to help those people in Jonesboro. Here, give this to however you help disaster relief. It doesn't take anything at all for all of a sudden a designated gift to come about, does it? Right. And it's going to, and, and here's the scary part. And I think church planners need to understand those gifts will come quicker than the tithe and offering gifts. Cause if you're, if you're actively involved in the community and you're doing some specific things, you're going to get some folks that'll say, Hey, I like what you're doing there. I want to give toward that thing. And so would that be a, would that be considered a designated gift or was that a tithe and offering kind of, yep. kind of deal? It would be a designated gift. And it, as long as it's something that the church is already doing and is within the mission and scope of the church plant, it is a deductible gift like tithe and offering. The, the slight turn on the dial where you get into a gray area pretty quickly is when you have a supporter or member or person in the community that come and say, I want to give X amount to the church and I want you guys to then go and do why. And if that why is outside the mission and scope of the yeah. church, it's not something you've previously done. It's not even been on your radar. It's not something you've got a budget line for or a mechanism for. Then you begin to call in the question, is that even deductible or is someone just kind of routing money through the local church? And so, and again, you're going to have churched people that had, have had an experience at a previous location with that, positive or negatively, okay, that, that bring that experience and that influence into that local church plant. And then you're going to have other people that just don't know. They, yeah. just, they may think this is a worthy thing in the community. I think the church ought to be doing it. I want to support it. And, and all of a sudden, you can become derailed. And when you look back over the course of a year, you may see, well, we've had hundreds, if not thousands of dollars come in that really, as a leadership of this plant, we had no direction in where it went. And maybe it went in an area that was fundamentally mm -hmm. okay. You know, it helped the community, but wasn't in line with where we were trying to go as a church plant. And so it's so important to think about those things before yeah. they... Like, we can't, obviously we can't, again, Neil's the only prophet on the podcast today, but... Uh, we can't think about anything that may possibly come up, but we know these things are coming. We yeah. know you're going to get asked to receive a designated yeah. gift. We know you're going to get asked to support things in the community that may or yeah. may not be within the scope. You just need to decide on the front end, how are we going to handle that? How are we going to work through those things? Who's going to make that decision? Yeah. Is that a church planner's decision? Right. Do you have a leadership team that helps so, you? Bobby, so, Bobby, who? how do you – so, you know, as a, as a plant, you know, sometimes people will donate – 
um, microphones or donate a sound system or donate chairs, uh, not a church, but like a business or something. Uh, are we, I mean, what do we do with that? Do we give them like a letter that says, Hey, thanks for the, the, the value of the chair. How, how does that work? How, how well, do I deal with that? Yeah. And at, stay legal. Right. At, at a minimum, you certainly want to thank them and, and whether, whether that mechanism for you is a handwritten note, a letter, email, whatever the case, you, you know, we, we, we want to model God's, you know, thankfulness and, and grace and all this. So we certainly want to thank them. Normally you want to steer clear of trying to value them yourself. Okay. It's typically the obligation of the person who made the gift, believe it or not, to, to place a value on material physical property. Okay. So like, for example, when you go to Goodwill, they just give you a receipt that says Neil dropped off a rug or two bags of clothes or whatever. They don't attempt to value that because that's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility to value that. Okay? That's awesome, Neil. I have a $5,000 chair I want to donate to your church. Yeah. Can I do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a throne. I'm not paying any taxes this year. Hey, you know what? In the black church, that's called the pulpit. That's where the preacher sits. Yeah. But, but as a plant, we need to steer clear of attempting to replace those values because really it's a no-win proposition. Either either we value it at what someone told us and it's not accurate and we're now accountable to that or we valued it lower than they thought. And, and again, it's not the responsibility of the church at all. It's really advised that the church refrain from attempting to value. You just provide a physical acknowledgement that we received it now, yes. the, the other part, Neil, that makes it even more complicated yes. is there's a whole other set of rules if that's the business that that person is in. So if someone is in the business of wiring churches and providing uh, AV support and they come and donate their time, energy, resource to do that, it's a separate set of rules on deductibility for them versus if Greg and I just go pick some things out and bring them up and say, hey, we heard you heard, needed microphones. Here they are. And so the that, answer that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. That's I mean. what, yeah, that's when you go ask for help. That, a lot of what you know, and they taught us in, in my education uh, field where I was educated, they said there are two kinds of information you have, the kind that you carry around your head that you know and the kind that you know how to find. <laughs> and so part of the information that we give you here there is you go. this is how you find it. This is what you right. find. And so you know if you've got that question, yeah. you ask a question. Yeah, yeah. the primary area in which we serve each and every day is, is as a gift processor and administrator for Arkansas Baptists all across the state in non-cash gifts. And so we get more questions regarding non-cash gifts. And we probably process, whether every week of the year, we'll process a non-cash gift. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I, I could go back years, and we've processed a non-cash gift every week. And so uh, it's happening all the time. You're going to get that question as a church plant. Just call us. We'll help you through it. Again, every situation is a little bit unique. Um, but you do need to think about the influence and, and direction that could have on your ministry and how you want to handle that as a leader. That yeah. That is something you can think about ahead of time. Well, here's here's what um, – now, there, there are some other questions. We're, we're going to do a couple more episodes on uh, on, on, on handling money and budgets because I think Neil had a great point, for example. Yeah. Somebody's going to come to you. They're visiting your church, and tornado hits Jonesboro, and you talk about disaster relief teams of Arkansas Baptists, and people go, man, I really like that. You guys uh, – Pastor Neil, here's a, here's a check for $100. 
they've given to you in a designated gift before they've given tithes and offerings, and how do you handle that? Well, one of the things you do is that's a great way to teach them who you are. It's a great way to affirm generosity, and they go from that then to tithing. But that's a, yep. that's, that's more of that ministerial strategy discipleship deal. I think this podcast, what we're really trying to help are first those uh, legal issues. And Neil asked that question, is that legal? I mean, is that is that what structure? And so here's what I think is important to kind of pull this thread through. Uh, this is where you run afoul of, of law, whether it's IRS or whatever. You don't receive properly so that you can receive it and you create a problem IRS. You receive dollars, you give it outside the scope of your ministry, you create a problem. And so that's where the budgeting issue on the back end is important. You got to receive it on the front end. We are set up as a nonprofit. We're allowed to uh, receive uh, charitable donations. We're allowed to receive charitable donations. And then we're accountable to spend them in what a charitable organization should do and what our organization does. And that was Bobby's point about the fourth bucket, which is the budgeting process. The budgeting is the affirmation to spend it and the baselines to spend it appropriately. Did I explain that? That's right. right. All right, so real quick, let's jump from that receding to the the budget deal. What kind of – what are the – basics that you see there that church planters need to understand that we're spent we've received it appropriately now we have to spend it appropriately right and and again first and foremost is going to be payroll or or personnel so personnel expenses how you compensate your folks uh what type of things are you providing um again if if, if you're the primary minister are you being provided a housing allowance uh is insurance being provided for you those are the two primary things from a benefit perspective Um, that next step is and again for a church planner, this is going to seem like why in the world are we talking about this? But retirement, you know, does your is your church yeah. plant putting something aside for you? Uh, yeah. w- what used to be called the annuity board or Godstone um, to provide for that, and 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 again, is that you? Is that every church staff person? Um, the other thing is again, ten ninety nine versus W two. When is someone an employee versus when are they just someone you've contracted with to provide services? Um, that's an important distinction. Yeah. Uh, so all those things kind of fall in that personal bucket, and that's going to be your largest expense category for some time and maybe forever. I mean, we deal with churches that have been around 60, 70 years, and personnel is still 50 or 60% of their budget. And so, that again, that's not an issue that goes away. You have to have a mechanism addressing that well. When it comes to ministry uh, expenses, you're going to identify what is it like for us to participate in missions giving as a church. You know, what role does CP cooperative program play in that? What role does um, the the state missions offering uh, Dixie Jackson or Lottie Moon play in that? What are we going to do? Is that a percentage of undesignated receipts? Is that a fixed dollar amount? When are we going to make those gifts? And so, that's that the next piece once you've kind of figured out personnel the next largest area is typically that missions area um, and then once you get past that missions area you're going to have more community-based ministry and sometimes we in a, have historically seen that in age-based where we're allocating so many to ch- so many dollars to children's ministry or youth ministry and so on and so forth but more and more we're seeing it as true community-based uh, and and yeah. so, before you know it, the budget's going to be gone. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, you're going to have this huge piece 
of the pie that looks like personnel and payroll and 1099 people initially. And then you're going to have yeah. that missions piece. And, and, and really those are probably going to be the only things you can plan for and, and, and kind of be your necessary expenses. Uh, and yeah. then probably everything in that community support or community ministry bucket is going to be discretionary. It's going to be things that if we have the money, here's what we're going to do. Um, and so, that but at least it you, is still yeah. accounted for. That's right. In an affirmed, right. we can send it this way. That's right. Yeah. And so, the, but exactly. those are going to be the three areas. So at, what point, so at what point, I guess, do you go into, because a lot of guys, they don't know like utilities, let's say they're in a, in a spot and they're paying their own utilities. Do you, do you start to, after the first year, deal with utilities or is, or are utilities one of those things that you kind of have a conversation about after you start, you know, after a year? Because you're guessing. I mean, think about it. If, right. if I'm going into somewhere for the very first time, I am, I'm literally guessing. I'm literally guessing on, you know, lights and, ins- well, not insurance, but lights and, you know, water and all that other stuff. So the next year, do I try to do a fixed kind of deal there? Uh, well, what would at that point? Yeah, and that's one of the things I really left out. And so um, you got personnel and payroll, and the other big P is property, or, or, or you know what expenses are related gotcha. to your physical domain, and and so whether that's rent, utilities, yeah. whatever they may be. And so um, a guesstimate is great to start, but ultimately, yes, you're going to have to um, unpack that uh, and really dig in as as the church plant grows. Bobby, we are so uh, excited. Neil was a prophet when he said uh, how much great information you're going to have, and this is a great episode for us. And so uh, that's why we want to really take our time and work through these topics. So we're going to uh, cut this episode now, and then we'll have episode two with Bobby coming shortly after episode one, where we'll be able to continue to unpack these questions uh for us so neil uh man what a what incredible information what what was your favorite thing about this particular podcast episode you know what the the biggest thing is that bobby did not call my name when he talked about the funniest things that have ever happened so uh, <laughs> so if you want to hear that turn into part two of the episode with bobby <laughs> thomas <laughs> part, part two is where we actually start calling names that's why that's a teaser for part two but bobby thank you so much for this i know this is, seems like a lot of boring information but that is this is pertinent information this is basic information that every church planner needs everything administration thank you so much for tuning to the, the grind podcast this is part one make sure you uh you pick up uh more information about the podcast you can email us also at uh the grind at absc.org the grind at absc.org if you have any other questions thanks again for joining us on this edition of the grind Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Grind. We hope you learned something new and found some encouragement along the way. To learn more about church planting in Arkansas and to find more resources, visit absc.org and click the church planting tab. Be sure to rate and review us if you like what you heard. Until next time, keep grinding.